When I graduated from high school, I got a box, like a jewelry treasure type box from my aunt and my uncle. It's got my initials on it and I've kept it since then and and I've put different things in it over time. I've kept pieces of jewelry and when I when I was in high school, we we had the great fortune of winning a couple of state championships. My rings have gone in there. I was one of those guys when I played that I wore a gold chain with my number on it, you know, and so I, that gets stored in there occasionally. I've had things that my kids have made for me, you know, I've put in there and and maybe you've got something like this, you know, that, that maybe maybe it's your treasure box, your jewelry box, whatever it may be, or a special place that, that you keep the things that are extremely valuable to you. The things that you, you know, if you lost those, then a part of you would, would be lost as well. You know, if somebody were to steal those things, then, then they've stolen more than just some piece of jewelry or piece of paper. I mean, they've stolen part of you. Maybe you've got something like this, and and I, and I want to want to put before you today that I I think that what we have in our in our boxes, in our treasure box, a jewelry box, that keepsake box, wherever it may be, that that drawer that you have some things stored in, I think for for what we're looking at this morning in the scripture, I, I think those things represent far beyond just the stuff. That we have. I think that truly in life we're we're all carrying around some sort of of treasure box, if you will. Something inside of us that we we keep the things that are most valuable. And they aren't things that can be purchased, they're not things that money can buy. But we keep those things, and I truly believe that each of us is carrying that around, much like the wise men did in the New Testament story we'll see today, and we're looking for someone or something who's worthy for us to give those things to. I believe that life is not complete until we give those things away, those things that are most valuable to us, most special to us. I don't think that life is complete until we give them to someone or something that we believe is truly worthy. We're all looking for who that is. What is that? That I can give those things most valuable to me, the things that I carry around... What is it that I can give those things to? We're in a series, just a short Christmas series, called Worship. You may think it's odd to preach on worship during the Christmas season, but if if you read the Christmas story, I think several things will stand out to you. And one of those, to me, is worship. When the shepherds met Jesus, you know what they did? They worshipped. When the wise men met Jesus, they worshipped. When Jesus was presented for his dedication in the temple a few days after his birth, you know what the people did that met him They worship. Christmas is all about worship. Last week we looked at what it's like to worship like a shepherd. We talked about celebrating and verbalizing the greatness of God, which is what they did. Even when nothing else changes, worship changes everything. This week we'll look at how it's what it's like to worship like a wise man. And then next week, those people that I referenced there in the temple, we'll look at what it's like to worship like an old person. And so if you've got some folks in your life that... uh, that have been good examples for you. Maybe it's a good time to invite them next week. But my goal has been simply to introduce us to the basics of worship. And I mentioned these things to you last week, and I think it's worth repeating. Here are some things that I truly believe are, are absolutes about worship. Each of us, you and I, are worshipers. We worship something, we worship someone. Something or someone has our attention, has our devotion, and has our obedience. The essence of worship is to give your attention, your devotion, your obedience to something or someone. And all of us, our worshipers, every single one of us. We were born to worship. 
We've all worshipped, of course, different things throughout our lives. Some of us are worshipping something now. And you say, well, it's easy to identify. This has my attention. Boy, it sure has my devotion. It's got my obedience. I think also it's true that your life is controlled by whatever or whomever you worship. You're going to obey that. You're going to be controlled by it. So whatever you give your, your attention, your devotion to is also going to control you. I mentioned last week that I truly believe it's, it's also true that just because you attend church, even on a regular basis, doesn't mean that you've worshipped. We've just finished singing several different songs. All of those have a focus on our Lord Jesus, but not everybody here worshipped during that. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're living in sin right now and all oh, you need to confess and repent immediately. All I'm saying is just because you showed up this morning doesn't necessarily mean that you've worshipped because worship is not passive. It's active. It's something you do, not something that you sit and receive. It's something that you participate in. I mentioned to you last week that I, I, I believe it, that worship has very little to do with the style of music, but everything to do with the condition of your heart. I, I, you think about the different styles of music, and I, I, I could tell you stories about the two churches that I was privileged to serve in before I came here. One was my home church, a huge place. About 2,500 people attended there every Sunday morning. And, and that's you know what, half, half the town of Murray, I think, something like that. We, we had a big, big place. We had this huge band and orchestra and all of this, and it was incredible music. I mean, just really well done. But, you know, some people there didn't worship. Even though the music was just elaborate, they still didn't worship. The, the next church that I was privileged to serve in in Atlanta, we had professional musicians on stage. In fact, to shock some of you, we had a guy playing the drums who didn't even speak English. I'm not lying to you. He looked like Bono from U2, and he wore sunglasses there on stage. They hired him simply to play the drums because he was really good. And the music there was over the top. I mean, it was, if you like music and you especially like upbeat kind, I mean, it was just outstanding, but some people there didn't worship. We have here a very simple style of music. And some of you said, well, that's exactly the kind of music I like. But you know the truth is? That some of us, even with our preference in music, we're still not worshiping. It doesn't matter about preference of music. The true object of your worship I mentioned last week is seen the other six days of the week. I told you it's easy, and it's easy for me, to come to church and be around people where it's permissible and okay and even encouraged to talk about the Lord and to worship and to say things that are godly and so on. And it's really easy just to, to say, well, I, yeah, I've worshipped this week, but the true object of our worship. What truly has our attention, our devotion, our obedience is seen the other six days of the week. And then as we look at this particular series and these passages of scripture, it's evident that those who truly know Jesus worship him. Those who truly do know him live a life of worship. They verbalize and they celebrate the greatness of God. And so this morning I want us to look at the wise men. Uh, if you know the story, this will be very familiar to you. You may not be a church person, or you may have, have never heard this uh, particular passage, but you'll know of the wise men through Christmas music and whatever that's been playing for the last three months. So, And as December 26, some of you celebrated that no longer will 94.7, the mix, be playing Christmas music, but they went back to your songs from the 80s and 90s. So you're good. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. I'll read it, and then we'll begin to work through it. Verse 1 says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. 
saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes and of the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written uh, by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, catch you up on the timeline here. Jesus was born a couple of years before this takes place. Uh, he's obviously living now in a house. He's not quite yet a, a toddler, but he's not an infant. There's some somewhere in there. He's he's maybe up to about two years old, and and these guys are coming to pay their respects to him. The story of the wise man is is interesting. I want to give that to you. Just three basic things about what their story is about. And then wrap that up with what's the lesson this morning that we can learn and take from them and begin to put into practice in our lives. The first part of the story is they, they seek. The wise men seek. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly. And they, they reveal the, the nature of why they're coming. They ask a question. They want to know where is this baby, this child who has been born the king of the Jews. Verse 1 is interesting. It says they arrive unexpectedly. You realize it was only unexpected to everybody but them. They knew exactly why they were there. They wanted to be there. They were seeking something that they had seen in the heavens. They had followed this star. They had seen things going on. And they traveled seeking something very specific. Now there are some myths about the wise men. And maybe you've heard these debunked before. But there's a myth that says there were three of them. We have no idea how many there were, actually. We say, well, there were three because they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You've got to divide that equally. There's three gifts, three guys. There you go. Not necessarily. It could have been three. could have been more. And the myth is also that they just rode on their camels and, and they just arrived alone. In truth, they probably had a huge entourage with them. These guys were very well respected. They probably had some serious money. They probably did not travel alone taking care of their own needs. There probably were lots and lots of people and servants with them. There's the myth, too, that they were maybe these, these great kings, these rulers, we three kings. Well, in truth, they were probably more like advisors to their kings. They, they, were, they were truly wise men. They were guys who were scholars, students of many things, one of which we see is astronomy. They were from the eastern part of the known world, so they came somewhere from the east and had traveled, and they arrived with their entourage. We won't ever really know, I guess, how many of them there were, but that's really not the point. The point is that they're seeking. Verse 2 reveals what they are seeking. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. They're seeking a king. Now, apparently they had access to the Hebrew Scriptures, or maybe there was a, 
a colony or some population of Jewish people that had settled close to them, and they had talked and they had studied. They were scholars of many things, as I said, and one of those, apparently, was Jewish history and prophecy, and they knew that there was going to be this king that was to be born, this great Messiah, this great deliverer. And and the rumor had it around the time uh, that, that they see this star, the rumor had it that this king would not only be a blessing to the Jewish people, to the Hebrews, but he would bring peace to lots and lots of people. And so they were interested to see this new king. And apparently through their study, they had figured out the timing. God had revealed to them through both the study of the Hebrew Scriptures and what was going on at the, in the sky at the time that had led them to the conclusion that he had been born. And it says they have come to worship him. It means to pay homage, to, to show and to declare allegiance. Now the truth is that these wise men didn't fully understand who they were worshiping. They didn't fully get that Jesus was not just an earthly king, but that he was the very son of God. They didn't totally understand that. But we do. And if these guys who, who knew really very little about who they were worshiping, if they truly worshiped the Lord, then we have no excuse. We know that their worship was much deeper than they ever imagined. They thought they were seeking just a great earthly king, but they were actually seeking God himself. They're seeking answers to their questions. They're seeking hope and peace and a king to honor. They bring these treasures, and what they're ultimately seeking is somebody who's worthy to receive them. If you think about it this morning, the question becomes pretty obvious. What is it that you're looking for? in life. I mean, you showed up today, you're looking for something. I don't know everybody's story, but you're looking for something or else you wouldn't be here. You're looking for something maybe from God. What, God, what is it that you want to tell me? God, what, what do you want me to do with my life? Maybe you're seeking answers to some really big questions. Why in the world am I here? God, what do you want from me? How can I feel a little better about my life? How can I get out of what is going on? How can I get out of this trap that I feel my life is in? Maybe some of us are seeking some sort of identity. But we don't really know who we are or what we're supposed to be about. Others just need hope and peace in life. And life is just beating you down. And, and you're here today hoping maybe God has something to say to you that could bring that hope and peace. As I mentioned to you at the beginning, I really believe... Ultimately, what we're seeking, whether we recognize it or not, we're ultimately seeking somebody to give the very best of what we have to. Because life is not complete until we've unloaded those things. Now, this search that you're on, this search to find true meaning and truth and value in life and somebody worthy of worship, you'll see from what the response was to the wise men, a couple of things. We'll kind of take a little bit of an interlude here. You'll see, first of all, that your search is going to bother some people. If you, if you look in verse 3, when, when King Herod heard this, now, by the way, King Herod was the declared king of the Jews. So when they show up saying, where's the king of the Jews? There was only one person recognized as king of the Jews. Herod freaks out. He was deeply disturbed. Now, just so you know, Herod was not exactly a very balanced person. Mentally, he was off just a tad. He had some serious issues with anger and revenge and insecurity. And in fact, when any time he was threatened, he would kill people. That's what he did. 
Some people get threatened and you just clam up. He just killed people. That was his deal. He just had people destroyed. He had their heads cut off. Not only did he have random people, but his wife and two of his sons threatened him. See you. Herod was deeply disturbed. Which makes sense then that all Jerusalem was deeply disturbed with him. Who's going to lose a head now? So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes and other people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Some people in your quest to know more about the Lord are not going to be cool with it. They're not going to be okay with it. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Listen, all the meaning that you need in life is found right within you. You've got it all. You don't need any God. You don't need anything outside of yourself. They're going to be bothered by your search. And then your search is going to be ignored by some people who really should pay attention to it. The, the scribes and, and the chief priests should have been the people that when it was revealed that the Messiah had been born, they should have been the first ones there. And look what it says. He asked them where the Messiah would be born. Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. And they go on to quote the scripture. They quote the prophecy from Micah, chapter 5. And then that's it. They don't do anything else about it. They just sit there. Yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. These guys come. They say, we're seeking this king. We, we, we're looking for him. He's been born. Where is he? Well, just down the road there in Bethlehem. And they're apathetic. They're completely ignored. Some people are bothered by your search because they only recognize one authority and it's them. Some people will ignore it because they think they have all the answers. The story goes on. They seek. And then verse 9 tells us they find. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was. The star they had seen in the east, it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. God had spoken to them through the Hebrew Scriptures, and apparently through something that was going on in the sky, they see this star of some type. Not totally sure exactly what it was that they saw. It's still shrouded in a little bit of mystery. Lots of different theories have been put forth and all of that. Everything from Saturn and Jupiter lining up to different stars to to the actual just glory of God in the sky. We're not really sure, but something was happening that was leading them. And based upon this limited knowledge that they had, they simply followed what they believed God was leading them to, and God led them in the right direction. You realize that God's not trying to hide from you? God wants to be found. Jeremiah chapter 29 tells us that we'll find Him when we seek Him with our whole hearts. Not just halfway. We have so much more to go on now than they had. We have the full revelation of God, both New and Old Testaments. We know the rest of the story. They threw a party when they saw this star come to rest over the house that Jesus was in. And it says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. That means they were joyous with a great joy. That's what the scripture actually says. They rejoiced with a great joy. They, it just spilled over. And in Jesus, what they find is the answer to their question. Who's been born king of the Jews? Here he is. Who's going to bring peace to the world? Here he is. Who's the true king? You just found him. So they seek, and they find, and as a result of that, they worship. Verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees. First thing they did, they fall to their knees. It's a sign of devotion. It's the proper and it's the expected posture before someone who ranks higher than you. You've seen movies and so on when you maybe see somebody who is introduced to a king or a queen for the very first time and they bow. They take a knee. 
in front of that person as a sign of devotion, a sign of respect for that person's position. These guys did that. And it says they worshipped him. It means to express in their attitudes and in their words and in their gestures this idea of complete dependence on this person, this submission to a high-ranking official. And then they presented gifts. They opened up, it says, their treasures. And what that actually means is they had treasure boxes with them that they had stored these items and carried them, and they opened them up, and out of that, they give. The very best of what they had. The things that they knew were fitting for a king to receive. It seems odd that at a baby shower you would give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Try that next time you go to a baby shower. Just being biblical. It's just me. Mr. Bible. I'm going to bring you what they brought Jesus. Here's some gold. A little frankincense. I found some myrrh. Amazingly, I had to have it shipped from the Holy Land, but I got it for you. Try that next time. People look at you like you're nuts. It would seem a little crazy at the time. Why in the world would this poor Jewish couple with this newborn baby need gold, frankincense, and myrrh? But these wise men recognized that Jesus was not just another baby who needed some more cloth diapers. It wasn't just a baby who needed some formula or a gift card to Babies Are Us. This was a baby who was the king. And they brought what was worthy to give to a king, the very best that they had. All that they could figure a king would be honored by, that's what they gave. These things that had been stored up because of their value and their usefulness. Things of great, great value. Things that cost a lot of money. That's what they kept in their treasure boxes and that's what they opened and gave to Jesus. Now, there's been some things written in after the fact to say that these different gifts represented certain things about Jesus. And, and in retrospect, we see certainly that they can, and maybe they do to some degree. But they didn't give Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh to honor his deity and then his life and then his death and to, to help with the embalming and all of that. Those things, maybe you've heard that story before, those things can represent it, but they just gave what they knew was fitting for a king. The very best that they had. What I find even more interesting is when they entered the house, these dignified people, these Scholars, these incredibly intelligent folks with lots and lots of money, with this entourage of people, the first thing they did was to hit their knees and worship Jesus. They didn't care who was around. There, there was no, is this socially acceptable? Can we, is it okay? They didn't ask the parents, can we worship your son? They just got on their knees and they worshiped Jesus. Nothing stood in their way. I mean, you think about it. It would have been, been a little bit odd. Probably made the parents feel a little uncomfortable. They weren't rich. They didn't have anything that these guys had. And yet these very dignified, educated, wealthy people got on their knees and worshipped Jesus. I wonder what it is that we allow to keep us from worshipping the Lord. For some, it's distraction. Even, even here at church, I mean, you got so many different things on your mind. I get it. I, I, I do too. We're just distracted and so we can't focus. You know, for others, maybe, maybe it's ignorance. We don't know that 
Yeah, that's what we're supposed to do is truly worship, to verbalize and to celebrate the greatness of God. For some, we're embarrassed. We're a little too dignified. We're a little too proper. We don't do that here. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything but this. You can't make me worship. I don't care. I'm not going to. I wonder, when we look around, even on a Sunday morning, what's keeping you from expressing your love for the Lord? And I don't mean manufacturing anything. I'm not going to ask you just to run up and down the aisles just because you need to worship. But what is it? Do you realize some things are biblical about worshiping the Lord? We see it in the Psalms. You realize it's biblical and okay to clap, even if we can't clap on the right beat. I look around, I, you know, sometimes we, we try. But, you know, we give an A for effort. But, you know, it's biblical. It's okay. You realize it's okay to sing praises to the Lord? Do you realize when Jesus was being praised by the children and, 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 and all the people who were against him said, do you hear what they're saying? He said, oh, yeah, I hear what they're saying. He said, if they were quiet, I'd just get the rocks to cry out. If somebody is going to sing praises to the Lord or something is, and if we don't, God's going to get his praise from somewhere. You realize that it's biblical and it's okay to lift your hands to the Lord? You realize that? You know what? That's a sign, two things, a sign of worship and a sign of surrender. You know, there are different ways, you know, that people do and sometimes you're a little afraid so you just kind of go like this get gator arms you know it's okay to truly lift your hand. i'll tell you there there was a guy in my home church we called him big al because he was six feet seven and about 250 pounds this huge guy and he was always when i was a kid he was old and then i grew up and he was old he was always this old huge man so loving and gracious though and he stood Right in the middle of the choir. Now, my church, my home church, uh, had an auditorium where the choir, the, the, the stage was up about 10 steps. And it, had, it fanned out in several different sections, had a huge balcony, and the choir loft was way up in the back. And Big Al would hit the screen as he stood there and he just worshiped the Lord. He wasn't doing it to draw attention to himself. But he was not going to let what other people thought of him get in the way of him worshiping the Lord. Now, you can take this several different ways this morning. You can say, well, I guess we all need to raise our hands now and make him happy. I sit up here, I'm not even looking at you. You realize that? I don't even see you. Don't worry about me. Don't do it out of obligation. Don't, don't worship the Lord. Don't express the greatness of God because of me. Do it because Jesus has saved you and you can't help it. These folks let nothing get in the way. So dignified and proper they were. But nothing, when they met Jesus, stood in their way. The lesson from the wise man is, is really simple. It's nothing extremely profound. Probably something you've heard or at least had alluded to before. But they show us really what true worship is all about. First, it's based on humility. There is one king, and I'm not him. There's one who's worthy of worship, devotion, of obedience, and I'm not him. Jesus said that the poor in spirit could come to him. Nobody else. You realize that? Until you and I get to the point where we admit our absolute brokenness, our hopelessness, our lostness in our own sin apart from Jesus, until we get to that point, 
You're not coming to Jesus. He's not letting you. Only those who are broken and repentant get to come to Jesus. You know why? Because he says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's not going to turn away anybody who humbles themselves before the Lord, who admits and confesses sin. The Bible tells us that. You confess your sin, he'll be right there to forgive you. But he opposes those who are too proud, who are too independent, so self-sufficient. If you're living a life of independence and self-sufficiency, you're not close to God. I don't mean that you're just trying to make a living. I'm just not what I'm talking about. But in your spirituality, if you say, you know what, I got this. God's not going to turn me away one day. I've been too good. I do too many good things for people. Until you humble yourself. Until you give yourself to Jesus through humility. Submitting to Him. You'll never receive His salvation. True worship begins with humility. And the truth is, that's probably the reason why some of us don't worship. We're just too proud. There's just too many things. Well, I don't know. It's going to kind of make me look weird. Boy, if I truly live this out, I mean, people are going to think this or that. You know, I, I sit toward the front. And if I if I do feel like I should raise my hands during worship, then I know what everybody else back there is doing. They're all staring a hole in the back of my head. What's he doing? I tell you what, if I I know that the Lord's dealing with me today and I really feel like that maybe I need a physical response this morning. I don't I need to get up out of my seat and I need to go talk to that pastor and have him pray for me. I need to find one of the, somebody in the church who can who can help me. I need to just kneel before the Lord, but everybody's gonna wonder what in the world's wrong with him? What's she got going on? You see how it works? Humility is where it's at to say, I don't care. I can't care what everybody thinks because I've got to get to Jesus. However it is that I need to. Don't let anything stop you. True humility or true worship is based on humility. And then secondly, we see from their example, it's based on offering. We've already taken our offering. I'm not going to pass the plates again. Some of you just grabbed, you went for your wallet right there, didn't you? I see you. But it's, offering is a part of it. You know why we take, you know why we take the offering in the middle of the service? Because it's an act of worship. It's not an add-on or anything like that. It's not some, you know, it is a part right in the middle of our worship. And in fact, it's a, it's, it's the midpoint. It's the central part of it. I don't harp on it an awful lot. I don't, we don't. So I don't get up and say anything and try to cajole you into giving more and all of that. It's an act of worship. Offering. We're all looking, I really believe, for somebody to give the contents of this treasure box to. Every one of us. What is it? I mean, if you were to, to make a list, these are the things that are most important to me in my life. I'm not talking about the stuff you have. Here's the list. What is it? Is it your Is it your time? I mean, what's in the box? But if you were to fill this up with all the things that are most important, or the things that are closest to your heart, or the things that you're looking for somebody to do something about in your life, what is it? Is it your time? Maybe maybe it's your past, and you keep that locked away. But you don't want anybody to know. Maybe it's your talent, the stuff that you're good at. Or it's your security in life. 
Or it's your identity, this is who I am. Or your future and your dreams. Young, young ladies sometimes are given a hope chest to fill up with all the things that maybe they hope one day to be able to use in something special. Maybe it's your money or your job or your education. Or in some cases, it's your hurt that you're not going to let anybody get access to because it just digs it all up again. Or it's your failures or even your successes or your relationships or the one day hopeful relationships that you expect to have or your marriage or your kids or just the things that really matter most to you. I really believe that we're all looking for somebody who's worthy to receive those things from us. And we run around in our lives trying to give those to somebody or something. The truth is you're going to offer the contents of that box to somebody or to something. You see this all the time. We talk about it with young people. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I would, I would always, every year, I would do a, a series, a preaching series on dating and sexuality. And the truth is that what those young people and all of us too are looking for is somebody to give those things to. We're looking for somebody to control those. We're looking for somebody to worship with those things. Our relationships, our sexuality, all that. And that's what I would tell them. You're looking for somebody who can help you see the point in your job. You're looking for somebody who can help you get out of the financial mess that you're in. You're looking for somebody who can fix your marriage or help you with your children or one day hopefully lead you to the right person that you want to marry or to be friends with. Somebody to help you out of where you are right now. And so you carry all those things around. And you've got them all with you this morning. Let me tell you this. There is only one. There is only one who is worthy to receive all that you're keeping inside that treasure box this morning. Only one. It's not me. It's not you. It's not anybody that you can see. There's only one who is trustworthy to take it all. And when he returns it to you, it will be exactly what you've needed all along. There's only one who's worthy of your worship. The truth is you're going to give the contents of that box to somebody or something. And my question to you is, are you giving it to the only one who's worthy? Are you giving it to the only one who's trustworthy? Who or what is getting the very best that you have to offer? Your true self, your value in life. You're going to seek and you're going to find someone or something to worship. To unload the contents of that box. You're going to find somebody. You're going to find something that you'll give it to. Is it worthy? There's only one who is. Only one who deserves it. And his name is Jesus Christ. The only one who is trustworthy to handle all of those things that are so close to you. And the only one that when you give those things to him, he returns them with interest. And his kind of interest. The only one. True worship is about humility and it's about offering. In other words, what I want to leave you with this morning, a prayer to pray today and this week. You're beginning a new year on Thursday. A prayer to pray. One New Year's resolution, if you will, to give you. Lord Jesus, all is yours. All is yours. 
Everything that I've got right here in this special treasure box of mine, everything so close to me, all my hopes, my dreams, everything about me that, is, that I hold so dear, Lord Jesus, all is yours. All I want you to do this morning is pray that prayer. All I want you to do this week is pray that prayer. For some, it'll be the first time that you've ever prayed it. And you're recognizing that apart from Jesus, as I told you, your good self-sufficiency is leading you nowhere. It's only by trusting Him, His life, His death, His resurrection, that you can receive true life. For others, it's going to be a prayer that you haven't prayed in quite a while. And you've been offering all the contents of that special box of yours to somebody, to something, and you get nothing. Lord Jesus, all is yours. I wonder, would you pray that this morning? I wonder, would you, would you pray that tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon, and tomorrow night before you go to bed, and in the moments this week that are so difficult, Lord Jesus, all is yours. And would you begin the process of just like the wise men, of opening your treasures and giving those gifts of who you are to the Lord. Not because He needs them, but because you need to give it to Him. Let's pray. Take a minute, if you would. And maybe it's time for you simply to pray that prayer. For the first time, for the first time in a while, maybe maybe just again today. Lord Jesus, all is yours. I'm going to worship you with all that I am and all that I have. Every bit of it. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you my attention, my devotion, my obedience. I'm going to open the treasure in my life. All those things I hold dear in Lord Jesus, all is yours. I'm going to worship like a wise man. Heavenly Father, we give you all that we are today. Lord, we give you this church. We give you our individual lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would take them. Take them, Lord, out of our hands and into yours. All is yours, Lord Jesus. We give you what is so dear, what is so valuable to us. All the things that we we hold so closely to us. Lord, we open them up to you today. We pray, Lord, that through your grace, that you would transform us. Take those things, and we'll trust you to return them. To build into us exactly what needs to be there. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you with all that we are. All is yours, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name.